Well, welcome, church family, to another online service, a great opportunity for us to slow down from our week and worship our Lord. I want to make a, give a special shout out to all of our moms and our church family. Probably by the time you're seeing this, it is Mother's Day week, and hopefully you feel very celebrated. Well, let's go ahead and dive into a time of worship.
Well, hello there, Agora Bible Fellowship Online. So good to see you. Hopefully you're having a wonderful day. Hey, couple of announcements for you. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'd love to just let you know what's going on here at the church. First of all, people just need prayer sometimes, and so we would love to be the people that pray for you. So if there's anything going on, we'd love to pray for you this week. Please text any prayer request to 97000. So here at the church, we've got our ministries that kind of run regularly. We've got events going on all the time. There's a lot of different meetings that are happening throughout the week regularly. And we'd love for you to just go to the website and check out our calendar and see all the stuff that's going on this week and the the weeks to come. There's a ton. So we'd love for you to just go and check it out. We've got things for everyone. Also on the website, if if you're just blessed by the ministries here at the church, whether in person or just online, uh, would you consider financially supporting us? That's the way that all of this works. Uh, And so we're just thankful for people like you that generously give. And uh, we'd ask uh, if you're interested in doing so, you can go online under the Give tab and give there. Let me pray for us, and we're going to dive into God's Word together. Uh, Dear Father, Um, Thank you again just for another day, uh, another time to be together, to gather uh, online, and to get in your word. Um, Father, we're so desperate for you to speak to us regularly. Uh, It's not just a a once-a-week thing. We regularly need your word to speak to us. And so we pray uh, that today, as we just dive in, um, Lord, that you just speak to our hearts. Um, We need you to do that. We depend on your Holy Spirit to move and work in our lives. We pray this all now in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you, worship team, and thank you, Josh. Excited to be together again in God's Word and looking forward to diving into a new section of Scripture here in Hebrews chapter 11. Just thinking back as I was reflecting on this section of Scripture of the idea of uh, needed reinforcement in our life. When I was growing up, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I had a hard time saying my R's. So I would always use, it was more of a W. So it'd be like, I would weed and white instead of read and write. I remember meeting with a speech therapist just for just an extended period of time and going through all these just hundreds and hundreds of R words. It was the repetition, 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 reading through these huge lists to finally program myself to actually be able to say the, uh, any kind of a uh, pronunciation of the letter R and it's funny because every once in a while, I'll still, and maybe you'll catch this now, it's maybe embarrassing, I'll still catch a time where it'll come out as a little bit more of a W than an R, even in the way that I pronounce something. But you realize in life, anything, and it's funny, it's not just big things, it's also little things. If you really want to see something happen in your life, you need to reinforce it by repetition. I get this sense that our author, as he's writing to these Hebrew believers, that he's having to do some things to break some patterns in their thinking. And it's done by repetition, going back over and over again to the importance of faith. You see, for his audience, they had been programmed all the way from birth that it was based on their works, their obedience to the Mosaic law. The whole idea of Judaism was to work towards your own salvation. So now this whole idea of being rescued and saved and and having uh, a relationship with God that's solely based on faith, 
man, that would take some significant reprogramming and repetition. And so Hebrews chapter 11 is really that. It's an effort to help them to think through what does life under the new covenant look like? It's interesting, though, because our author could have used current examples of of heroes of the faith present day that they'd all be familiar with. Maybe the apostles, maybe talking about Paul. But instead, he leans into some of the familiar examples of characters from the Old Testament, heroes of your faith, if you will, as a demonstration. So he starts first by explaining what faith is and then uses these different examples from the Old Testament of examples and celebrating the the faith of their forefathers. So the best football players are memorialized in Canton, Ohio at the Football Hall of Fame, the greatest baseball players at the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, but many of the great men and women of our faith are found right here in Hebrews chapter 11. Let me pray before we dive in. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather around your word and to get back to some foundational truths of what we believe, how one is rescued, and then not just how we're rescued, what does it look like then to live by faith? God, I pray that we choose to engage and really wrestle through how our faith impacts every aspect of our life, God. We pray we'd be free of distraction, even in these moments. We submit this time to you now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to spend the next four weeks breaking down chapter 11, which, as I mentioned, has a complete emphasis on faith. And if you remember where we ended in chapter 10 last week, we ended talking about what does enduring faith look like? It doesn't shrink back, if you will, amongst, amongst persecution or trial. Here, though, our author starts by just clarifying just the foundational stuff. What is faith? So we'll start there, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It's always helpful if we're looking at this together. Says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. All right, we'll stop there and look at this explanation of faith. It starts with that description. It says, assurance of things hoped for. This is the idea of faith takes the future promises of God and makes them real in the present. I've mentioned a lot of times uh, growing up or living in the Midwest and most recently spent time in Chicago. And I always found it funny because we had such long winters, basically mid to late October, all the way to kind of end of March, middle of April. Man, we'd even sometimes get snow in April. It was just cold. By the end of that long stretch of cold, you're just longing for springtime so that any day that it just happened to have any glimpse of sunshine and a little warmth. I remember it might have been 45 degrees out and everybody is coming out in their shorts and t-shirts for that day. It was kind of ironic. If you're here in California, you'd have your winter parkas on. But the idea was, man, there's a sense that, man, spring is coming. And so before it actually arrived, you got a head start on things. You started to experience it prior to, prior to its arrival. 
think about that as it relates to faith. I think that's the exact picture of it. And really, I like how Pastor Stephen Cole paraphrases this. He says, faith makes real in our current experience the promises that God has given about the future. Or as John MacArthur puts it, faith is the God-given ability to trust the future God has promised you. So it's clinging, it's living the presence. It's not, it's not being completely out of it, but it's looking and living as if the future was right there in front of us. So how it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So you're completely assured of these things. But then it says the conviction of things not seen. Now, to me, that description is, can be a, a little bit confusing if you think about it, because really believing in anything that's lacking evidence is, is actually really considered, man, that, you're not very wise. You're almost, uh, one might even say, just uh, senseless if you're, if you're going to believe something that you can't see. But think about that. Play that out in this definition, how often we believe in something that can't be seen. I was thinking of a practical example of this in the wind. Maybe you talk about that as, it re, as you're describing uh, uh, what faith is. It's, it, it's not that you don't uh, see evidences of the wind. You're believing in something, but it's not a naive belief. It's based on something that has tons of evidence pointing to it. We're in, uh, you describe it as tornado season in the Midwest right now, and you're seeing really on regular news reports different touchdowns of tornadoes. I was looking through, here's a, a picture of one that was from January this year. Maybe you're seeing some of the wreckage from some of those tornadoes this last week. It would leave nobody questioning the existence of wind. Of course there's wind. Uh, wind is what drives it. It's wind that causes all this damage. It's wind that strikes fear in people during a tornado. You're not left to wonder if it exists. But if you're really to push down on it, it's always the effects of it you see, not actually the wind itself. So same idea with faith. The conviction of things not seen. I like this because it might, it's not seen. And so we don't get necessarily all of our questions answered, but enough of them. There, there, there's enough to be able to move forward, to act on that. I love that God leaves us with a little bit of a required stretch in order to believe. Pastor Richard Rohrs describes it this way. He says, faith is patience with mystery. Patience with mystery. We're okay with a degree of mystery in our life. That's the whole idea of faith. If there was complete and full evidence, if you're able to see all of it, you wouldn't be required to have faith. Basically, that's what we're commended for. It says, for by it, the people of old received their commendation. This commended this idea of, of public celebration or verbally uh, making a big deal about that. That's really... The idea is at the end of our days, and that's the one thing that's going to be remembered about us, the one thing that's going to be celebrated. Either we are a person who believed in Jesus Christ or a person that rejected Jesus Christ. That's what we'll be commended for. So we're starting with the definition, and then it describes now in verse 3, uh, verse three kind of how faith is a foundation for really everything. 
It says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Think about that when someone considers whether or not they're going to believe or not in Scripture or God or whatever. It usually has to push them back or they start with this question, where did this all come from? But here's what I've grown to understand. That question, really, if you think about it, isn't as challenging as one might think. You see, a complex design screams of a complex designer. And the more you look at the complexity of the earth and the universe in which it is placed, there's something that tells you, man, I can't ignore that there has to be a designer here. It had to come from somewhere. There has to be a designer that's, that's just put all of this in place. Think about this example. Maybe you've heard it already before. You take a look at a, an iPhone. Nobody in their right mind would look at this piece of machinery and be like, oh, that just must have just come from nothing. It, it probably just evolved. No, the common sense would say, man, this thing is able to bounce things off of satellites in space. You're able to receive images on here from around the world. You're able to talk with somebody on the other side of the planet and actually see the person you're talking to. The complexity of this little device does what? It screams of a designer. So this is the idea here that we see in scripture is that, man, when you look at the complexity, there needs to be a starting point. So there must be a God. There must be a God. Also, when you think about the complexity of the design, it also demands a certain level of power that would be required to make all that we see. So this idea that's presented in scripture that, the, that it was all created by the word of God doesn't seem all that far-fetched if you actually wrestle through it. Wow, there must be some kind of an unbelievable designer. Well, that designer must be all-powerful if he's been able to design the expanse of the universe and sustain it all. Man, it should move us to the the words described in Scripture of of a God as a creator and speaking things into existence shouldn't be difficult at all for one to absorb just looking at the scope of creation. But if you think about it, the reality that he created the universe has to be a starting point for us, that this had to come from somewhere. So that's the foundation of our faith is creation, this idea, the foundation where it all began. But then if you think about it, it ripples into every different facet then of our life. Take a look as he starts these examples. It says, by faith, verse 4, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So, who's our very first example of a commendation of of faith in the Old Testament? The very first character we see here is Abel. If you remember the story of Cain and Abel, they were Adam and Eve's first two sons, and they were given very specific instructions 
on what worship was to look like, what it was intended to be look like after Adam and Eve's sin. Basically, this was God giving them the opportunity to embrace his lordship through obedience. That's always how he allows us to uh, accept and embrace his lordship, by, by obeying what he actually tells us to do. So Abel obeyed and brought an appropriate sacrifice, and Cain did not. Uh, again, their actions demonstrated their faith. Think about that for a moment. Man's always wanted to bring his version of worship to God rather than bending a knee and embracing God's version of worship. Think about that as it relates to Jesus Christ. Everybody wants to do all these different things as means to work their way to heaven. And God's like, no, I've provided the, way, the one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. There's only one path. But here, similar to Cain, Cain, God was not content with his worship and didn't accept his gift. And so what are we told happens? Cain actually ends up killing Abel in a fit of jealousy and a fit of rage. It's kind of a, a pretty messed up story to be so early on in the creation story, really, with just the, the, the first generation of God's creation already seeing murder. So Cain lost favor with God, obviously. And it's interesting what it says here. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. That's an interesting com comment there, or description. I was thinking about that for quite a bit in my study this week. I'm like, what does that mean? Through his death, he still speaks. See, what's interesting is even on the other side of this life, as I just mentioned a little bit ago, the one thing that still speaks is whether or not we embrace Jesus as Lord or not. My uh, grandmother on my mom's side, her name was Irene, and Irene attended many years back, had the opportunity, and attended a Billy Graham crusade. She came back from that Billy Graham crusade excited about the Lord, excited about the decision that she had made to turn her life over to it. That excitement then panned out to her pointing my grandfather Mike to the Lord, my, my mom Linda, and then the rest of her siblings, and now multiple generations that have come to faith from that. And you think about that, man, at the end of her days, her choice of faith, actually, she still has the potential to speak, to speak. That's the voice that she left this world with. Think about us, our faith either in rejecting Jesus Christ or embracing Jesus Christ still will be what speaks after we leave. It's not going to be about our, our business ventures or accumulation of things. It's going to be the one thing eternal that lasts is going to be what speaks from each one of us is our faith or lack thereof. So continuing after this example, he moves to a second example we might be less familiar with, a man by the name of Enoch. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, 
he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So again, our author transitions to our second example of faith. This gentleman's name is Enoch. I don't know if you remember his story. Actually, he's Adam's great, 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 great grandson and Noah's great grandfather. So that's where he's at in the genealogy, but he's talked about just briefly in Genesis 5. And it doesn't tell us a lot about him other than the fact that he walked with God. I like that description. Really, if you're going to summarize a person's life and he lived uh, 300 plus years, you're just like, man, how would you summarize this person's life? It was summarized by the fact that he walked with God. Didn't cover a lot of other details. It's just like, you know what? That's the most important thing about his life. They did life together. Think about that picture of walking with somebody. I don't know if you've been on a, a hike or a long extended walk with somebody where you got so caught up in the conversation and catching up and interacting that you didn't even think about the fact that you had uh, gone such a, a distance. And that's, I think, the picture that I like to keep coming back to, to walking with the Lord, a period of time that was never, this life was never intended to be a, a uh, uh, oh, laborsome idea of walking with the Lord. It's intended to be a pleasure of being with him through the good and the bad. You're not thinking about the aches and pains. You're thinking about, man, what a pleasure to do this life with the Lord. That's when they were told that he came so that we'd have life to the fullest, not to be a, a burden on us. Here we see, though, that an interesting ha thing happened to Enoch we're told that he was taken up so that he should not see death. What an interesting description there. Basically, he and Elijah, the two examples in scripture of people that were taken straight to heaven that didn't experience death. I don't know if that's still an option, but if it is, I'm very open to signing up for that. That's the, the picture here that God was so impressed with his relationship with Enoch. He's like, you know, we're just going to have you skip death and go directly to be present with the Lord. Before leaving, we're told, though, that he pleased God, that he pleased God. It's interesting to think about what actually gives God pleasure. I don't know how many verses you have underlined in your Bible, but this definitely should be one. Verse six, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. Faith is the foundation. It's necessary in order for anyone to have hope of pleasing God. I mentioned this, I think, before on uh, New Year's this year. I got to go with uh, a few friends over to a, a steak place. It's called Texas Day Brazil. I don't know if you've experienced that before. It's this all-you-can-eat steakhouse. And they have set up there in this steakhouse, they have a, a, a huge salad bar with all of these really delicious side items. I was thinking about it. We joked about it while we were there. We kept on, especially the, the guys in the group were like, all right, don't get distracted. 
Don't get off course. Stay focused. We came here for the stake. We're not leaving without that. And you think about that, that's kind of the, the same idea. It doesn't matter how good everything else is without the main course, without the main thing, without the foundation of faith, really the rest is kind of just a bunch of unnecessary side dishes. That's really what this life is going to be boiled down to. Faith is the one thing that lasts and the only thing that actually matters. So why does faith matter so much? Why is it such a big deal? It tells us right here in the text. It says, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know, you can't, you can't have a, a relationship, a walk, a, any kind of a rescue if you don't start with the foundation. It's kind of the, the beginning. It's the building block. He's saying you can't expect any of the other stuff without first faith, belief, trust, and the unseen, trust and belief in Jesus Christ. You can't have any of the other things. Like that it includes in that description that he that believes that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's interesting anytime you talk about rewards in scripture, usually it puts people a little bit on edge. They're kind of like, well, I don't do these things because of rewards. There's kind of this way that we kind of uh, like to be sound all noble and above all of this. But here's the reality. When you think about it, you can't separate Jesus from reward. You can't. And really, if you think about it, who are we to be above God's perfect incentives? Who are we to be above his rewards? As if we're not uh, to be drawn by that, to be captivated by that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to these rewards of seeking the Lord. What does that look like? Some are present day rewards. Man, I'll tell you what, when you actually prioritize him and pursue him, man, there's a, a peace that surpasses all understanding that even comes into your life in the present tense. But then future tense, what we're looking forward to, the reward of heaven to someday be done with all of this mess and to be present with him directly in relationship with him. The rewards are part of the faith equation. We'll end with this last description. So faith in our walk. Lastly, faith in our work. His next example of Noah. He says, by faith, Noah... When warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Again, kind of a little short description. I don't know if you've ever used this ever when you're talking about a movie you enjoyed. Have you ever said this as a little disclaimer? You say, you know what? It was a fantastic movie, except there was a few scenes that were a little bit, eh, they could have done without. I think about that when I'm thinking about Noah as probably one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament. He's a, apart from a few lapses of judgment, he's a beautiful picture of faith. 
He's a powerful picture of faith that got, actually got utilized, obviously, even in this hall of faith, if you will. You hear, though, God's assessment of the people of Noah's day is pretty intense. Genesis 6-5 describes the people of that time period. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Man, that's a, a pretty intense description that, that it wasn't something that was occasionally messing up. It was just like he had concluded that man's heart was officially broken and sinful continually. Because of that, if you're familiar with the account of the story in Noah, God decided to start over to wipe the earth clean. That's the whole idea of the flood and to start over with a man named Noah and his family. But here's the thing that we have to understand anytime you're looking at the story of Noah is that understand that that came with plenty of opportunity for rescue. Plenty of opportunity for rescue for the people of his day. Though I imagine the scene so often of, of Noah there every single day, faithfully putting together this boat and everybody watching that and mocking him and making fun of him because in that time they had never experienced rain and had definitely never seen a flood. And so imagine seeing this guy building this boat day after day. You're just like, what is going on? He keeps warning them, there's a flood coming. You're going to need rescue. There's a flood coming. You're going to need rescue. I love how often it's repeated in the story of Noah. It says, and Noah did all that God commanded him. Why? Why did he do all this? Why, did he, why, why was he faithfully building this boat day after day for year, year after year? We're told here right in the text. It says, by faith, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Think about that. What, what was compelling to him? A holy fear. There is a, a concern about God. Here's the interesting thing. We so often want to uh, erase any time the word fear in God is in Scripture. We, we're like, well, maybe a better word for that is, is reverence. But I think God wrote it exactly the way it was intended to be received. I think there should be an appropriate fear of God. Think about that for a moment. The person that sustains your life, that keeps your, your heart beating even when you're asleep, that keeps you inhaling and exhaling, that sustains your life, and then also add to that, has the potential to either send you directly eternity separated from him or eternity with him. That is what I would say is somebody that you should hold a deep, fear of. That's why scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Fear is not necessarily a bad thing. It's often a protective measure, something that's in place to keep us from harm. A couple of weeks ago, I got to visit some family down in Florida and got to visit a, a friend. I think I mentioned him last week. He was the guy that was the Iron Man. And in this visit, it was kind of cool Man, there's a fly here. Um, in this visit, it was kind of cool because he had the opportunity for me and uh, my kids and Adrian actually 
to shoot some of his guns. Here's a, a picture of me with a much bigger gun than I should be ever uh, holding. And in that, there was a certain fear I found. I noticed with my kids, they were intent. They were listening to every piece of instruction. He went through all kinds of gun safety. We had a target. We had all plenty of land to shoot on. It was really interesting to see the fear and the reverence there was for something that has the potential to take your life. Think about that as it relates back to God. You're like, man, there should be an unbelievable reverence and legit fear for God Almighty who holds our lives in his hand. So he was used to build this boat. It's interesting if you think about it, how long it's believed that this took about 120 years to build the ark. So it wasn't like a short period of time. Imagine somebody starting to build a boat and just finishing now, and he started back in 1902. That's basically the exact same scenario as seen here. So there was plenty of opportunity for people to be rescued. It's interesting, though, what it says here. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Basically how it worked there was his faithfulness, his actions demonstrated in building this boat was condemning everyone else that was saying no to God's rescue plan. So his actions, his faith was actually used to condemn others. Really present day, the same thing is true. For us that resist and say no thank you to offer after offer, after offer of Jesus's rescue, the same is true for that person. They're unknowingly condemning themselves. God goes on to obviously start over with Noah. He was the heir of righteousness, the heir of righteousness, the righteousness that would ultimately come through who? Through Jesus Christ, our righteousness, our one hope for rescue. All of these things are meant to point us towards the foundation that is so critical for each one of us. Really, if you think about it, without faith, you have nothing regardless of what you have. Without faith, this would be a, a completely empty, actually, it's funny that I'm saying that. I was about to say it's going to be a completely empty room, although I'm speaking to an empty room, but thinking of this on a Sunday morning, this building would be a completely empty place. In fact, most likely this building wouldn't even exist without faith. You see, faith is at the foundation of everything that we do as a follower of Jesus Christ, and it ripples into everything. Our view and understanding of where this all came from, our understanding of what does it look like to have a relationship and worship our God? What does it look like to walk with the Lord? What does it look like to work for the Lord? All of those things starting and fully dependent on faith. I'm excited next week to continue in this account, looking at these different examples of faith from the Old Testament. But before we wrap up, let me close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this demonstration, first of the explanation of faith, an explanation that it's something that's hoped for, but we still get to enjoy in the present. 
And then the picture of this and demonstrated in so many different characters that are, that are walking in it, that are living in it, that are acting it like Noah in obedience to it. May those be descriptors of us. Man, I would love at the end of my day for it to be said, man, that was somebody that walked with the Lord. God, we thank you for this chance to be in your word. We thank you that you didn't leave us floundering with all of these questions. You answered them in this book, gave enough facts, not everything, not all the details, but enough for us to move forward and live by faith. We thank you for that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
All right, church. Well, thanks again for being with us online. Hopefully these times are a blessing to you. Obviously, any way we can serve you during the week, always feel free to reach out to us here in the church office. God bless you. Have an amazing day.